This morning, we will be receiving our gospel message from the Gospel of Luke. So I invite all those who are able to stand in body and spirit to stand for the reading of today's gospel. It's coming from the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 13, and you can follow along on the screens behind me. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, friend, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in the bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for his friendship's sake, If you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, everyone seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. A simple request from an unnamed disciple in this setting here. Teach us to pray. You know, when I think back on my life and summer experiences that I may have had, I think back to my middle school years, and Camp Bratton Green always comes to mind. I don't know how many of y'all have been to Camp Bratton Green, but it is a wonderful, wonderful place. It is a summer camp that many youth go to out there just a little north of Canton. And I had some friends that were Episcopalians, and they invited me for a couple of summers to go with them to Camp Bratton Green. And man, I loved it. It was the picturesque summer camp experience. You got to bring your trunk full of stuff for the week. You got to claim your bunk bed. You had, you know, old cabins there that you get to stay in. You had a high school guy that was your counselor, which was always really cool. Uh, That's when I got introduced to Frank Zappa by one of the high school counselors there, all right? And then you had a cabin parent who was mainly there to supervise the high school person that was in charge of your group. But anyway, it was a wonderful week. We would wake up in the morning to the loudspeaker playing music to get you out of the bunk bed. You'd go to the dining hall to have your breakfast. That's where you ate all of your meals. Uh, That's where I learned to like the really crunchy bacon bits and green, just plain lettuce and ranch. That was my salad for lunch and dinner. And so I gained a lot of wonderful experience at Camp Bratton Green. You had to do a a swim test within the first day. They make you jump in and swim across the pool to check off that you're a swimmer. You know, that way you're not at a high risk of drowning or whatever, a horse play. They... um, 
would have a dance normally at the end of the week, and you all knew this. And so you had to secure your date within the first 24 hours, or there was slim pickings afterwards. And it was very awkward. It's middle school. I hate middle school. But the camping experience there, though, was wonderful. It just has, gives me a lot of great memories when I think back on it. But one of the things that they would do during the mealtime that I always remember, a counselor at our table would start it, was called the nose goes game. And what would happen is somebody would just put their finger on their nose and everybody would slowly pick up on that cue. And whoever the last one to put their finger on, the no- on their nose got to do the blessing at that table. And I'm sure some of y'all may have played that game before or been a victim of nose goes or whatever it was. But, you know, later in life when I became youth minister and I took our youth to camping experiences and things around, uh, I never played that game. Because for some reason to me, that innocent little game made prayer, though, kind of like a punishment to the end of a nose-goes game. And I said, you know, that kind of, for some people, that might kind of hang with them and make prayer a very difficult thing. Because it, it already is. I mean, if we're honest with each other, prayer makes a lot of us very uncomfortable. I mean, even as a, a pastor, whatever setting I will be in, if I'm the only preacher there, guess who gets to do the prayer? I do. They just look at it like, well, it's your job. I'm like, well, of course it is, but anybody can pray. It's just not me, you know, but I'll be more than happy to. But I get pinned a lot to do the prayer in a lot of settings. And so prayer is one of those things that challenges us, but we're called to do it in our daily lives. It is part of our discipleship process. And here in this gospel passage, we have, they didn't say which disciple, but a disciple come up to Jesus and not necessarily ask us, ask, teach us how to pray. It just says, teach us to pray. Because as you might read throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus goes off to pray a lot. Some of his disciples may not really witness him that much praying. And so they ask, like John's disciples, John the Baptist disciples, they wanted a, a ritual, they wanted something to teach them to pray. And that's what they're asking Jesus here. And as we read it, 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 you might get the feeling that that Jesus might have been a little bit annoyed at the request. What do you mean, teach you to pray? You're around me all the time. Can't you pick it up? What's the deal? So what does he do? He gives them about five quick points on a ritual prayer, since that's what they asked. And this is not the longer Lord's Prayer that you may see in the Gospel of Matthew. This is the Cliff Notes version. It's just five little things that I want to kind of go through with you. This morning, as you see, as Jesus says here, you start off with the word Father. Jesus starts a lot of his prayers with Father, showing that intimate connection to God. Not that he's just some creator way far off that can't be touched, but he is intimate like a, like a parent figure is intimate to us, or whoever represents that for us in our lives. So it starts off, Father, may your name be holy. And of course, God's name is already holy in of itself. But by this request, we pray that he will make it holy among us too. That we get to share in that experience. And when God's word is taught clearly and purely, we live holy lives as God's children based upon it. Upon his name. Help us, Heavenly Father, to do this more. But anyone who teaches and lives by something other than God's word defiles God's name among us. And this is what we're asking for protection of. So, Father, may your name be holy. 
The second petition, the second thing that Jesus says in this request here, in this prayer, is your kingdom come. And truly God's kingdom comes by itself. It doesn't really need us to ask for it. But when we pray this request, it comes to us as well. And when the Heavenly Father gives us His Holy Spirit so that we believe His Holy Word by His grace and live godly lives here in this age, there in the eternal life as well. So your kingdom come. The third thing He gives us here, He says, give us our daily bread. And truly God gives uh, daily bread to all kinds of people, even without prayer. But we pray in this request that He will help us realize this and receive our daily bread with thanksgiving that we are thankful for what god provides for us in our moments of need that everything that nourishes our body and meets its needs such as food drink clothing shoes our house yard money possessions a good family a good job good leaders and government and things like this all come from god providing us with our daily needs it comes from him The fourth thing that we request is that we ask for God to forgive us of our sins as those who we forgive those who sinned against us. And we pray in this request that our Heavenly Father will neither pay attention to our sins nor refuse requests such as these because of our sins, because we are neither worthy nor deserve the things for which we pray. Yet, He wants to give them all to us by His grace, because many times each day we sin. And truly, we deserve punishment for our sin. But because God does this, we will, of course, want to forgive from our hearts and willing to do good to those who have sinned against us. It can be one of the most hardest things that we're ever called to do, but we are called to do that. And then the fifth thing that he gives us here in this simple prayer is to lead us not into temptation. God tempts no one, of course, but we pray in this request that God will protect us and save us so that the devil, the world... And our bodily desires will neither deceive us nor seduce us into heresy, despair, or other serious shame or vice. So that we will win and be victorious in the end, even if they come and attack us. So these things cover a wide range of topics and things that we go through in our daily lives. And that is why Jesus gave them this very simple five-petition prayer as a good ritual for prayer as they asked. But even as simple as this is, as simple as prayer may be, for some reason, we have trouble doing it every day. And why is that? Why is it that we have a hard time saying a simple prayer to God and then move on? Well, I can share with you some of my struggles that I have. Your day gets going before you even do your morning devotion or prayer time, and life comes at you fast. If you're a husband or if you're a wife and you've got children at home, you've got to fix breakfast. You've got to get the kids out the door. If you work, you've got to get ready for work and get out the door. Or if you're a caregiver of somebody, of an elderly parent, you've got to get them taken care of for the day. Things happen. And then prayer just kind of gets pushed aside. It just gets pushed aside. And before you know it, you didn't pray today. You forgot to pray yesterday. You forgot to pray all week last week. And it happens to all of us. It happens to even me, those that are leaders in ministry. Things get in the way. And it's also kind of defeating. It's kind of like when, you, when January rolls around, you're like, oh, I'm going to go on this diet. 
in this workout plan. And it's going to be great. All right, I know some of us might have done that this January. We're six months in. How many of us are still doing it? All right, probably not as many that when we started out in January. And if you're doing it now and continue, good job. Keep it up. But just like prayer, we'll say, we're going to pray this morning. We're going to set a time up. We, we're, we're going to dedicate this space in my house. This is going to be my, like that movie, The War Room. This is going to be my prayer room. I'm going to get in there every day. I'm going to meet God here. I'm going to pray. It's going to be awesome. But then something happens. And you don't pray that day. And then you feel kind of defeated. Like, well, what's it now? You know, I've already broke the habit. I'm out of the habit. You know, oh well. Well, I ran across something when I was doing my research on my sermon. And it came from an article from uh, a pastor. He's a United Methodist pastor in, in Minnesota. He's passed away now. But I read his article and I said, you know what? This really helps me. And so I'm going to share some of the things that he said in his article that hopefully that will help you when it comes to prayer. His name is Reverend Robert Holmes. One of his spiritual heroes, this is Reverend Holmes, is a 17th century man named Nicholas Herman. Nicholas wanted to be a member of a monastic community. He wanted to go to a monastery, okay? He wanted to be one of those guys. Well, when he got there and he got his membership in that order... They didn't think he was very smart. So what did they do to Nicholas Herman? They put him in the galley in the sandal-making shop. So that's where he was put in the monastery. But it was there where he took the new name of Lawrence of the Resurrection. So he changed his name. And today, Brother Lawrence has written down a lot of his thoughts and conversations with God under a book titled Practicing the Presence of God. Now, the main reason why Reverend Holmes liked Brother Lawrence is that Brother Lawrence seemed to have the same problem that many of us do with a designated time or place for prayer. That things just, did, it just didn't work for him. He wasn't connecting it. He wasn't feeling it. And, you know, being United Methodist, that's how we got our name, Methodist, because we were very methodical in what we do. I mean, we have a whole book of worship that tells you how to do everything in worship and prayer, whatever it may be. So we have a system to everything. So as Methodists, you know, we like designated time for prayers and things like that. But Brother Lawrence realized it was still kind of hard to meet those expectations. So Brother Lawrence had a Methodist or Methodless method to prayer. One of his quotes states, Do not burden yourself with rules of private devotions, but get used to gradually offering God your heart whenever you can. See, here's a man who walked very closely with God, who confesses that he could make nothing of the methods of prayer that they discouraged him. That for some time, he did practice meditation with measure of success, but the ultimate end, he gave up and fell back to his own plan. Too simple, too homely to be ranked as a method, but with the results of which he was very satisfied. He finally said, I gave up all devotions and prayers that were not required, and I devoted myself exclusively to remaining always in his holy presence. Wow. God's presence is not just simply a set time and a set place only reserved for that. God's presence is everywhere. His time is always so what Brother Lawrence is saying here and what Reverend Holmes appreciated and what I appreciate is that we need to be constantly 
in prayer with God. I think the Apostle Paul might have said that. We always have to be in the state of prayer. So what does that look like? Driving down the road to work. You want to talk to God? Talk to God. Have a conversation with God. Sometimes it's Jesus take the wheel. This traffic's killing me on 55 South, okay? Please get us all to work safely, all right? We've all been there. Or it's sometimes when you're in, this, in the stage of life where you have little ones at home and they're home for the summer, or even teenagers, it doesn't matter what age, or you got kids at home, sometimes it gets a little, little hairy there, all right? As parents, you get a little stressed. You want them to go back to school. But in that moment, in God's presence, you can always pray. You can pray at work. You can pray at your desk or at the shop or wherever you are in the grocery store. Always staying connected to God and God's presence and in prayer. And so when you think about it that way, when you think about it, well, I missed that morning prayer time. God's still present in your life. He's still calling you to pray to him. And here's the thing about prayer. And here's the thing about the whole entire gospel message. You know, I just came back. Well, actually, I just came back from vacation. But before vacation, I was at an annual conference. And our bishop, who's a phenomenal preacher and speaker, said something at annual conference that really stuck with me. He said, if you've never been afraid of the gospel message, then I pray for you. The gospel message can be scary for us if you truly take it to heart. If you truly read what Christ calls us to do with our lives, it be a little scary at times. If you truly, truly look at it. And at prayer, it can be scary sometimes. That's maybe another reason why some of us don't pray all the time. Because prayer is not a request line to God. Hey, God, I really need that raise at work. Hey, hey God, I, I really need my kid to get into that school. Or, hey, God, I really would love to retire at 65. It's not just a request line. While he wants to know your requests and petitions, it's not a one-way conversation. When you're constantly in prayer and living in prayer, prayer is a two-way conversation. God sometimes gets to speak back. And that can be for us, for a lot of us, very scary. Because if we truly, truly pray and truly, truly live in His presence and truly try to stay connected to Him in all areas of our life and we're praying and we're seeking God and we're in conversation with God, some of the things He may call us to do and some of His answers may push us outside of our comfort zone or may show us a truth that we've been ignoring about our lives that we did not want to see. So prayer for some of us, if not sometimes all of us, can be very scary which is why some of us may choose, I don't, that's okay, we're good. I'll just send my request and then we're going to turn off. We're going to hang up the phone after I just send in my request. I don't want to hear the response. But this article for Reverend, from Reverend Holmes really, though, gave me some assurance in my life and my prayer time, and hopefully for you, that prayer is just not a set time and a set place. And if that works for you, that's great. But for many of us, life gets in the way. And so what do we do? Well, we are always in God's presence. We always pray. We live in a state of constant prayer with God and constant conversation with God. And see, the second part of our gospel message, after Jesus teaches us the five simple petitions, he continues here, it says, teaching them more about prayer. He talks about a friend. He gives the story of a friend 
who comes to another friend's house in the middle of the night seeking food or bread for his guest. And then his friend in the home said, we're all in bed, leave us alone. Which would be a common response, I think, for many of us if we have a friend come at midnight looking for bread. We'll say, go to Kroger. But they keep knocking and keep knocking. And because of the persistence, they finally open the door and give the bread. And then Jesus continues to say, he says, And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. And this is that part of prayer that I was mentioning earlier that is a two-way conversation. If you keep knocking at the door, you'll get a response. Now, some of us may think it's the response we were expecting or hoping for. Sometimes it's not. And we have to name it. Even at the end of this passage here, it goes into some difficult things that we wrestle with. It says here, Christ says, You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if you ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. You see, that can be hard for some of us to wrestle with because sometimes we feel like we get that egg or we get that scorpion or that snake and we don't understand why. We don't know why we got the bad hand and we just have to live in that moment and be patient because God can teach us something in those moments. Even in the tough times when you do get the scorpion or the snake, it wasn't what you think you were what you were getting. Our psalm passage that Elizabeth read for us today is Psalm 85. And as she said earlier, that psalm, the key verse in that psalm is verse 6. Revive us again, O Lord, so that we may rejoice. That whole entire psalm was said probably in the time of post-exile and in a hard time in people's lives. But it was a prayer, a community prayer out to God, a cry out to God that they would say, that they would keep knocking at God's door, that, oh Lord, please don't continue to punish us. Revive us again. We sin no more. We turn away from our evil ways. It is a prayer, a call out to God. And so this summer, as we go to worship each Sunday and we hear different preachers preach, and each things are centered around that cry out and that prayer, May you examine in your life, may this be an opportunity for you and for us and all of us to examine in our lives, what are some of the things that are keeping us from being in constant prayer with God? What are some of those things that we need to push aside out of our lives? Is it physical, material things? Is it anxiety and worry? What are some of those things that we must push aside so we can be revived again and able to rejoice in our Lord. And so may this summer be a time of reflection, a time of reconnecting to God and a time to be in prayer. And yes, it can be scary. Yes, it may be uncomfortable. But the process of doing so will be greatly rewarded in whatever ways God wants to reward us. We will gain wisdom, knowledge, and become a stronger disciple of Christ. Because he taught us to pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are a God that wants to be in relationship with us. We are thankful that as you're a God that if we keep knocking at the door, you will answer. 
And sometimes, God, it may not be the answer we expected, but we know that you intend all things to be good for us, Father. So we pray for patience in those moments. And we also pray as thanksgiving that you gave us Jesus Christ who led a ministry that we were able to witness and read about that can impact our lives and that we're able to share that to the world and the joy that he brings. So this week, Lord, may you revive us again. May we find ways to reconnect to you so that we can grow as a stronger disciple in Christ. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Before our closing song and we do our offering, I would like to invite those people who are going to Honduras on Saturday morning to come forward because as a congregation, it's important that we pray for you, that we do a commissioning as you go out and share the good news to the people of Honduras. Um, It is a wonderful, wonderful mission trip. It does many great things. So if you are going, please join your brothers and sisters up here as we commission and pray for and send out these people from our church. Dear friends, as we take part in this celebration of blessing and commissioning, we are reliving a practice of the early church. We read in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work of mission and for the church, and after fasting and praying, laid hands on them and sent them out. The early church eagerly sent its members to other peoples, to assist those who are already of the household of faith and to those who did not yet believe in Christ. Today, we send our brothers and sisters to serve the needs of the church throughout the world and in Honduras. This commissioning and sending will strengthen the bonds we maintain with the faith-filled communities to which they are going. And the prayers we offer are an expression of the ties that bind us together in the larger body of Christ. So let us pray and reach out your hands to these individuals as we're laying hands on them and praying. Oh Lord, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross so that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. All of this is asked in the honor of Jesus Christ's name. Amen.